Hello and welcome to my brand new podcast, Voices, with me, Sally Morgan. But you may know me best as Psychic Sally. Throughout my career, I have worked with celebs, royalty and toured the world, helping people to find closure and happiness through the words and wisdom of their loved ones that have passed. This series, we will be hearing from voices of a different kind. Each episode, I will speak to powerful, strong and influential women about their lives. Today, I talk to Harley Street nutritionist, Rhiannon Lambert. You, you feed emotions from food, so you feed hatred, you feel happiness. Everything transpires in that way. A lot of us turn to food for different reasons mm. or turn away from it. Life can, we can lift ourselves up from such dreadful times in our life and I think you're a really good example of that. Mm. So it was just wonderful, you know, to be able to talk to you and to talk to you about that so that we can become women, can become inspirational. And you're an amazing example of inspiration. Oh, that's so kind. Um, I always find it a little bit overwhelming and talking on a personal level about myself. I think... um, because obviously the, the success I've had is from a career in nutrition, in a science kind of role, that when you're asked to speak about yourself on a personal level, as a woman as well, it can make you feel quite vulnerable. But as you said, it's nice to channel that into being inspiring for others because I'm such a believer that if I can get to where I am right now, mm. oh my goodness, anyone can do it. It really just takes a bit of graft and a bit of focus, I think. Because your your life is really two halves. It's, I mean... You're, you're an, an opera singer, a classical mm. singer, is, am I right? Yeah, no, you are. That's how it all began, really. As a child, I um, so my parents are not musical. I'm not from a particularly wonderful, exotic background when it comes to exposure to cultural things. I grew up in a town called Melksham in Wiltshire. And the music department at the school consisted of about two rooms, um, There were about three of us that selected to do A-level music. I remember it so clearly. Three of us in the class back then. And I always had a natural gift and ability to sing. I don't know where it came from. Soprano? Yeah, 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 straight off. It, It was a very bizarre thing. So my life changed when I was 16 turning 17. And I entered an online competition with Classic FM. It's actually something at the time that my music teacher at school said, oh, there's this competition online, you three. So just three of us, you know, in the class. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you three should apply to this. And I was like, oh, never win. You know, I, I don't have music theory. Were you nervous? I, I mean, they say there's a voice within all, within all of us, and yes. they do say that all of us can be taught to sing. Do you think mm. that's right? I think everyone can be taught to sing, 100%. Um, it's just some people have it naturally within them in the way that they express themselves and they sound because it's quite a a different space when you're performing a song or you're singing you become someone almost um someone else but it's like well so you're what you're really saying there is that we no matter how we sing or what we're defined as Mm. as a singer it comes from the soul yes 
a hundred percent definitely comes from the soul and that's just what I did I listened to a version of because I was a bit of an odd bod as a child you know I loved Pride and Prejudice Jane Austen I loved musical theatre I can growing see up. that in you why you would because you've <laughs> yeah. got that look you know that 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 lovely sort of it's peaches and cream very sort of English look you you're, you're so kind just to top it off I arrived wearing a headband today which are back in fashion now can I just add it's not that I'm that demure but um <laughs> no I loved all that kind of stuff and I listened to Strauss's laughing song because I just quite like the arpeggios in it. And I, what what's an arpeggio? When you do a kind of little run of notes going up, so a <laughs> kind of thing wow. going up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that was very flat, and I don't know anything about notes, but that last one was flat. <laughs> well, well, we're doing a podcast; it's not to be expected, but yeah, basically like that. But I listened to it and thought, "Oh, this is a fun song." So I did a recording of it at school, and yeah, I sent it off. And before I knew it, I won this online competition. No way! I could not believe it. I'd had no proper classical training at all vocal training and there were people from around the country from these very exclusive you know music colleges private schools that were entering and I was from a state school that's actually I mean it did me well because I got a lot out of it but it's knocked down now because it's just not really a great place to be. So you found your voice yeah, basically. Yeah I found my voice it saved me it moved me out of my local town into London thrust into the Royal Academy of Music where I had tuition from Mary Hammond who's this incredible musical theatre legend in terms of vocal training and started working my way up really it's where it all began and do you think the (laughs) this is like getting from one life to the other do you think the stress of that is what caused your um your problem with eating a hundred percent which in turn led mm. to your new career and your new life and your life for the future because you're this amazing nutritionist so you had stress from then on really you hadn't known any stress had you really well I think um the minute I moved up um a multitude of factors so yes the eating was probably looking back a byproduct of the stress of the music industry Mm. you you feed emotions from food so you feed hatred you feel happiness you feed successful occasions you know when you're feeling downbeat or frustrated everything transpires in that way a lot of us turn to food for different reasons Mm. or turn away from it my um thing at the time was obviously being on the bread line as well you know I was a student I didn't really have any money I Mm. remember handing CVs out in Oxford Street to get my job that's what I did because I didn't know there was no social media or anything back then that's what you did and all I could eat some nights would be porridge for dinner I remember that so clearly but I would think oh it's okay you know it's probably better for me that I'm restricting a little bit and it turned into a very vicious cycle I actually went to a doctor for help it got so bad um, I didn't but tell they, him. Well, that's no. what... And also doctors then, where with eating disorders, what, there were no eating disorders. Do you know no. what I mean? And I think that were you presenting as, um, as bulimic or anorexic? This is the thing. My weight wasn't low enough at the time to be taken seriously. And I was just given antidepressants and said, oh, this will cheer you up a bit and hopefully you'll just eat a bit more and off you go. 
that was the response I got back then. So you just stopped eating. Were you eating? Were you binging and then f- making yourself vomit? No, I don't. I wasn't a bulimic back then at all. It was more a. I wasn't even consciously aware I was doing it. I was calorie counting, living off um, brands that I'm sure you'll know mm. with the point systems and the particular oh, yeah. packaging everywhere. Mm. I believe they were healthy. Mm. So that's what I was doing. But I was so severely malnourished and I completely had no idea at the time what a toll that food has on your brain, your energy and my performance as a singer because it was really starting to affect. At this point, I had been signed by one label, dropped, signed by another label, waiting. I think I was waiting at that point for the next thing when I went to the doctor and I just took the pills and yeah. believed they would help. Yeah, because what it does, doesn't it? Food can really affect our motivation. Oh, it, it affects your motivation, it affects your mood. If it's the right food or the wrong food or no food or too much food, yeah. you know, it really does, it does affect us. And, oh, yeah. And, and the foods that we take in can give us an instant hit. It can, food can be like heroin. Do you, you know, know, it's interesting you say that because most people that also suffer with um, disordered eating, a lot of them actually love food. I'm one of those. I'm a big foodie. That's why I'm in the career I'm in now. But mm. back then, it's so interesting how you can love something so much, but it's almost like a form of punishment for yourself. And when you use the analogy of heroin, um, some people say sugar is addictive. It's not actually scientifically addictive. The pathway is very similar, but it does trigger a release of things like your dopamine. So certain um, building blocks of protein that we eat, they contribute towards our happy hormone, serotonin, or dopamine, as we've just suggested. So the feel-good yeah. factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I don't, don't I understand that? Mm. I mean, I was a... Well, I still am a foodie, but I was I was an overeater. I mean, I was addicted mm. to um, huge portions mm. and, you know, just couldn't get in my head that it's not a good idea to to eat six hot cross buns in 10 minutes, mm. which sounds... You know, when I look at that now, it's like, how is that possible? But you'd be surprised. Um, you're definitely not alone, Sally, because no. I see many, many people, men and women, that go through a very, very similar thing. I think psychology and nutrition are so heavily intertwined and it's one of the aspects in the healthcare system today that we don't have in place to support people. It's very much, well, just go on a diet. Just stop yourself. <laughs> it's nothing to do with willpower. If it were that simple, if I think only, we'd all do it. <laughs> if only. If yeah. only it were possible. I know. You know, when someone sort of says, yeah. do you know you can't eat two, two dinners, two, no. two adult-sized dinners, and my adult-sized dinners are huge, and I would eat... I was and what was really a turning point for me I'd had my 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 supper and uh, and cooked for John as well and the telephone rang and John went off into uh, the kit, off into the sitting room to talk to this person and I was sitting there and I thought oh he isn't going to come back I'll, I'll eat his dinner yeah and you remember he, that 10 minutes later he came 10 minutes I'd eaten two and he came back and he went what have you done with my dinner and I said oh I didn't think you were going to come back I've eaten it and he looked at me and he went, Sally, you, that's not, not right. It's not normal. You can't. And I'd just eaten two, yeah. two huge sides of a chicken, one mm. on my plate, one on his, mashed potato, three veg, gravy. I'd eaten the whole lot, two, mm. in ten minutes. 
And not only did you probably go through a range of emotions after doing that, but your body as well. If, we, if you think about the biochemical imbalances after oh, in your that stomach. vast amount of food, yeah. To digest. Your and stomach's going crazy. Well, yeah. I, was full of, I was full of, I wanted to cry. Yeah. So first of all, I was, I was very sad. Then I felt very guilty. Then I felt very embarrassed mm-hmm. with my husband. When you, We should never be embarrassed ever with our partner of so many years. All these emotions... Mm. And and also the emotion of recognizing that actually there's something wrong here. Yeah, because it's actually not the food itself. There's something else going on, and that's a coping strategy that you've used. If you think about it, and I try and reassure people, it's quite clever as human beings. Although it's a type of self harm, it's a clever form to choose over maybe taking drugs or alcohol or smoking. Yeah. You turn to food. However, it's still very dangerous and detrimental. Yeah. Enjoying the podcast? Why not join Sally for her 10-year anniversary tour, Psychic Sally 10 Years and Counting. The messages from beyond will come in thick and fast in this funny, entertaining, touching, sometimes heartbreaking show. Sally will be using her skills as a world-renowned psychic in this jaw-dropping experience that has attracted and amazed theatergoers and psychic fans for the last decade. To get your tickets, head to sallymorgan.tv now. And just so you know, this episode was recorded at City of Quebec. City of Quebec is situated close to Oxford Street, offering a chilled, relaxing atmosphere during the day and a selection of entertainment of an evening. Downstairs hosts their club and is open until 3am Friday and Saturday nights, with DJs putting their individual twists on each night. For all the latest goings on, check them out on Instagram at the Quebec. So when did you when did you recognize that your classical singing your opera singing mm. would lead you into nutrition and how did that happen Oh gosh that's the question um it's such a random route, isn't it? You would not think classical oh, singer to scientist. And believe you and me, science was something that I definitely struggled with at school. I was not the smartest in the class. I was terrible at maths. Um, really not great with chemistry, that kind of stuff. You know, I was like, oh, I don't need to worry about that. I'm a singer. I'll just focus on music and mm. drama and just leave it at that. But it all came back to haunt me because I discovered that all my friends were having so much fun at university, you know, going out drinking, partying, and not that that's all uni's about, but they were living their lives. And I was stuck in this dead-end, well, depression, on antidepressants, not eating, and in a career that seems to not even be going anywhere. You're in kind of stalemate when you're signed. And, that, and, and singing is a career that you need to be happy in because 100%. it's going to reflect, isn't it, um, in your voice? Hugely. I, I can't even emphasise enough how being happy, having that drive. And I was losing the love. I I was losing it because my mental health was not good. So I think it was when I spoke to my friends, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to uni. I'm a smart girl. I want to go and learn something. So I was looking at courses and I thought, what do I love? Ironically, and this is very common with people that are not using food in the right way. I thought I'll study food. And I didn't really realize how, I didn't realize nutrition was a science looking back. And I enrolled in university. I was a mature student then because I was 21, believe it or not. That's mature. (laughs) Um, And I remember so clearly crying in the first week to my dad on the phone being like, there is no way I'm going to get through this. Like, I cannot do this. It was biochemistry, immunology, courses like pathophysiology. You know, very, to me, it was very posh, sciencey names. But actually being the underdog, 
I, I've got a bit of a competitive drive in me, obviously from the music industry as well. I just wanted to learn. And do you think you, do you think there was an element of like a bit like physician heal thyself? Did you, was there that little voice mm-hmm. that was saying <laughs> you're going to be able to help yourself yeah. if you get through this? 200%. Education saved my life, literally, absolutely yeah. saved me. Isn't that important? I mean, how yeah. inspiring is that, that you can actually say, educate yourself mm-hmm. and you can get through anything? 100%. If you don't understand yourself and you don't understand what you're putting in your body, how can you possibly reflect back on it and, and know why you're doing what you do? It's the why I think understanding why food is important, why it can be helpful, because I saw food as the enemy. I didn't mm. see it at that point in time as something that's going to help, you know, my, my brain cells every day or my skin or my hair, my nails, you know, everything. And do you, do you think that this starts from when we are babies, when we are children? It starts in the womb. Does so, it? How does yeah. it start in the womb? Well, I've just finished my, um, a few months ago, so nutrition is a never-ending learning cycle. So I just did a course in pre- and postnatal nutrition. Mm. And um, when you're in the womb, you get the preference for flavours. So the amniotic fluid um, kind of sack around the baby. If the mother's eating a lot of sweet things, that can cross through and the baby gets a preference for sweet foods. It gets used to types of vegetables that the mum is eating as well. It also helps with neurological development, so your brain. It helps with the child's IQ and also predisposes them to the type of birth weight they could have when they're born. And there's even studies now, I think it's the Barker hypothesis that suggests in 50 years' time it can predict if you'll get diabetes or not based on everything going on in so the womb. So when, when my mother carried me, she was mm. 16, she was very young, wow. and um, in the 50s, and she was a very heavy smoker. Oh, Although when she conceived me, she was a um, she was uh, she ran for the county. Then you ran for like it was like the London County Council, all the different, and she was an amazing athlete. But then she started smoking, and then she conceived me. Mm. So would that have affected me? Do you think? I mean, it could have done. I don't know. Um, it's very hard to say, but definitely smoking. You you're obviously very lucky because smoking can contribute to um, certain conditions for the child as well, which are not good. For development and growth yeah and, and your lungs because I, I when I was a, I think I was about four and I got a shadow on the lung which oh. they couldn't and I think that was I think personally that was definitely to do with my mother being a very heavy smoker and me being born into an you know a house that was full of smoke I mean it's what know. they did wasn't it back yeah. then they didn't know in fact they were told it was healthy yeah. I think even the king of England when he had um cancer and tumors was smoking in his hospital bed because the doctor said take a cigarette so yeah yeah, I know. We can't point the blame. Like, I'm no doctor. I study more the science of food, but it does sound like that could have been yeah, it's a possible it, 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 it is amazing. So you then, you, so you went to university to study nutrition. Yeah. And then did you think then that you could have a practice? No way. So how did you, how did you, because people are always fascinated with me. I, I ran a practice for 46 years doing yeah. this. And it, it, it is, it's like, how does that happen? So how did it happen with you? Oh, gosh. Because I still believed I was going to be a singer, even though I was studying nutrition. So I was traveling the world then with a girl group. We were singing in Oman, Switzerland, Portugal, all these places around Europe and the Middle East. And it was going quite well. But um, the individual solo career had kind of died down. It was more of the group work. And I didn't ever think, because we were always told at university that you would go on to either work with a company like... um, I don't know, Kellogg's or, you know, mm. just some, some big corporate 
you know, GlaxoSmithKline kind of company. Big brand, yeah. Big that, brand. Yeah, yeah. That's what you were kind of sold. Um, having an individual practice wasn't really something that was mentioned. And it was only in my second year at university that, so I'm a bit of a workaholic. A, I had to pay the university fees myself, which was extortionate. So I had about four or five jobs when I was at uni. Mm. Um, And one of those, I interned for £20 a day. I remember it so clearly at the Food Doctor Clinic on Harley Street because I was fascinated in, you know, individual one-to-one cases. That's when I got the bug for it. And I thought, ooh, I love talking to people about well, what Well, you're they social, do. aren't you? Yeah. And you love to see people happy because you're a singer. There you go. A natural <laughs> singer. So to have a practice and to interact with those individuals and to actually help that individual. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, watching someone, giving someone hope, giving someone the possibility of there being something more within them. You know that feeling oh, so well. Well, you're, you're an actual inspirer. You, you, no, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're a powerful woman, and you are. And I think, look at this wonderful book that you've got out there. <laughs> How, the, is this your first book, second? This was the first book, Renourish. Um, yeah, I'm really proud of the first book because, again, I didn't go looking for a book. It came to me. It was yeah. so... I was in my clinic, in my practice. i just graduated uni. I was at the top of Harley Street then, working in a doctor's clinic, so I'd already decided and ruled out NHS work at this point because I actually did a lot of work experience in palliative care and hospices. I'd worked with district nurses and I'd realised I want to be on the preventative side. And also with the NHS, as much as I love the NHS, Me too. you mm. are put in boxes. Yes. And with this, with nutrition now, you have to think out of the box yeah. because Every single person that will come to you will be so different with their food. You've nailed it. That's just it. Yeah, Yeah. have to think out of the box. And the NHS, unfortunately, they can't allow that because they have to know that that doctor or that specialist will do X, Y, Z. And that's not what it's like, is it? No, 100%. And you're very limited with resources. And I realise that, like you said, I like to inspire a bit Mm. more. And, And there are some people that we need in the NHS that have got that mindset that they are wonderful registered dietitians nutritionists mm. working there but for me having the private practice and then the book deal approached me it was a chance for me to lay out my entire philosophy journey and help people through so a they came they came to you yeah the publishers came to me I remember them sitting in front of me so clearly they gave me a pile of books and I thought it was so odd that there were two of them coming for a nutrition session I thought they'd booked in for a session in clinic mm. and Lauren one of the editors I'm still very good friends with now and since then, I've had another book with Ronnie O'Sullivan, the snooker, um, well, our world champion snooker player, and I'm currently writing something else. So, so this, that's just amazing. Yeah. So Yellow Kite, they're, they're, I've never yeah. heard of that publishing oh, house. They're wonderful. So they're part of Hodder. They are the oh, wellness brilliant. branch. And now this is just it, the wellness branch. These things were not around when I went to university, and I'm sure you no. can totally relate. People did not take mind and no. body as seriously. Well, I mean, mental health is issues nowadays we're talking about them which is brilliant yeah and there's absolutely no doubt in my mind because I am one of them so I can confirm this that mental health issues and eating they that's what it's about you know overeating for me was a mental health issue this is what um, I think a lot of people struggle to grasp and we still have it today um, in terms of the fact that being overweight isn't perceived in the way that being underweight is people think underweight eating disorder they don't think overweight eating disorder i mean you know i've been to doctors with my weight and they're going to got a gland problem 
Yeah. I mean, a gland problem, yep. swollen glands <laughs> over yeah. it. I don't think so. I think <laughs> I know my overeating yeah. and not having an off button. Yeah. Uh, you, you will be horrified if I told you the amount of food that I ate today. That was a mental health issue. Of course it was. You found a way to cope with something that was so difficult yeah. for you at that time. Yeah. And I think this is where we're going wrong in the current um, world well, climate, of, yeah. Medicine. Yeah, of, of, of medicine. Yeah. So you, you then discovered that you had this amazing ability to help people with nutrition mm. what's next so what's next um i moved from so first of all i got the first job in the food doctor clinic that i'd interned in working as a nutritionist i actually asked the boss the, the day i graduated from university please can i be a nutritionist oh, here? they grabbed and, you they grabbed like, you <laughs> by the scruff of the neck and they said you ain't going nowhere you're in this practice it was yeah. so interesting and i always remember the other clinicians there saying oh well you'll never be able to do it full-time you have to have loads of part-time jobs and i did i worked at the royal albert hall for 10 years you know even when I got the book deal I was doing call center work in the box office phone room so I always had other jobs but then before I knew it about half a year later I'd built up a bit of a client base you know friends would come in yeah. they'd recommend nothing better than yeah. recommendation I have 100%. never advertised in my life recommendation mm -hmm. is how you want it I completely it? agree and people always ask how did you get such a successful clinic because I now have four other clinicians in there and a huge team behind Retrition now. But I also think it isn't just, it, it, obviously, it is about recommendation, it's about getting the people, mm. but you've got to know what you're doing for those people to come back. Well, this is it, and I think there's a way of um, leading a consultation, a way of understanding people and getting their limits right. How much information do you give? How much do you hold back and wait till next time? Mm. What's going to suit that person? It's an individual approach, and mm. too often I hear of, well, my clients going to other, unfortunately, health professionals, being told a one-size-fits-all approach, being given leaflets, handouts, and off you go. It doesn't. It, that one size no. does not fit all with never. eating. You never know who's going to walk through the door. No. And, you know, you've just told me about 10 hot cross buns. This morning I had yeah. a patient and client that had two Victoria sponge cakes. Yeah. So, well, you know, I've, it, it, I've, I've probably done that. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it is. We mm. do laugh, but actually... It's, it's not true. funny. No, is it? it's a very serious thing, and it can be so so debilitating. You feel like you're trapped in the middle of a spider web oh, yeah. when you are that person. And it affects your sleep, yeah. your relationships, your productivity, everything. I, I mean, I was sending John out on a daily basis. I'm not proud of any of this, by the way, but I'm just telling you mm. that I'm now at a point where I can actually be honest and open. But I would send John out on a daily basis to Marks and Spencer's Food Hall to buy six packets of ham, the biggest, mm. because. Because between each reading, I, I would just be grabbing, uh, just I'd go to the fridge with the fridge door all open because your behavior is as important to know mm -hmm. as the actual eating. Mm -hmm. What you're so I would open the fridge door in my own home, but it was like nobody's going to see me. And I would stand with the fridge, that fridge door was my screen yeah. from the outside world. And I'd open a packet of ham, take half of it roll it Ooh. and eat it in a roll like that then close it and say right next one and I was it was like each 
each each person afterwards I was having to satisfy myself mm. that I'd done a good job yeah. and that was I was okay with food well in childhood I, w- I would ask so if you were in my clinic as well I would do a whole timeline so I would know what you ate before the age of 10 what the family dynamic yeah, well, was like well as a as a little girl I was tiny and mm. you know I was your size mm. even after I'd had my three children mm. I started to put on weight from about the age of 32 mm. I can we can sort of pinpoint it yeah and did you have ham rolled up when you were a child no no, no never had so ham that's a oh, new as a, thing. Well, you know as a child you had three meals a day you had yeah. your breakfast you had lunch yeah and you had tea yeah. yeah, and I was an, I was just a regular kid, and the food yeah. was just regular. No, 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 I didn't overeat as a child. You didn't have yeah. it. No, 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 no. It wasn't in the cupboard. Yeah, but so this is the thing, it wasn't in the cupboard. And maybe that, I don't know, I can't read into it now without doing a whole session yeah. with you, but perhaps there was something that you always felt missing satisfactory-wise of food. Now, and as an adult, your inner child comes out and it's like, well, I, I can do I what think, I want when I want. Yeah, I think my eating is was... Um, very much to do with anger, mm. to do with being angry at the age of 32. It, it, definitely it was to do with family issues, which I can't go into no, now. Of course. But I think it was to do with that. And it, unfortunately for more, I say fortunate, I had a little heart issue, I had like a little, a little heart attack. And mm. that really was, that was you know, the, the car- well, the cardiologist sit- wake-up call, mm. sitting on my bed and, saying, and me saying, I want to go home now. I've got, I've got a birthday party that I've arranged, I've got to go to. And she said, how many eyes do you have, Sally? A two. And how many kidneys do you have, Sally? Two. She said, how many hearts have you got? Mm. And she said, because if you leave now, if you discharge yourself now, I was in the high dependency unit, she said, um, you'll be back within six months and I won't, half of your heart will be dead and I won't be yeah. able to save you. Yeah, and that's, that is... A shocking... Well, it was like she'd punched me in the stomach. Yeah. And then did you change your eating habits completely? No. No, no. She said, you're not going to. Mm -hmm. She said, we're going to have to get you an operation. I will get you well enough to have a gastric bypass that is irreversible. Yeah. So what's so interesting about... So my master's degree is in obesity risks and prevention. And that's Mm. something I went on to study afterwards. And I think people view gastric bypass surgery, or in fact, any surgery as a really terrible thing, whereas actually well, it can save lives. It saved my life. Exactly. And it's huge. And listen, it must not ever be taken lightly. No. And because I'm asked all the time about it, because mm. there are many, many people that I see that come up to me when I'm touring who are morbidly obese, yeah. who, you know, have... How did um, you do it? Well, yeah. and have are in wheelchairs because of their weight, mm. not because of anything else. Mm. And, you know, how did you do it? But the surgery that I had, which was a proximal gastric bar, is huge because not only do they staple your tummy to make it smaller, mm-hmm. they reroute your bowel so you don't yeah. absorb any fat but in doing so you don't absorb certain minerals and vitamins there's a big consequence there is but i'm not a person that's afraid of taking supplements i took Mm. them anyway you know i was always you could always (laughs) find me in holland and barrett or somewhere like that trying to find something make your skin nice or whatever but um no it has to be taken very very seriously but it saved my life and it's so good to hear you say that because i often see a lot of people judging very quick to judge um someone that's larger someone that is obese and say oh it's their fault or 
that we're just going to pay for this. I hear all sorts of oh, things. Oh gosh, it was so, everything and it's was not said to me. like that at all. And I think we need to get to a point in society where we hear people like you, Sally, talking about, oh, it actually saved me. That's the reason I had that surgery. I didn't oh, yeah. choose to be oh, well, in that the, position. Who would? Yeah. The cardiologist, she said to me, I mean, it, I wanted it done, but the cardiologist said to me, you will die. Mm. You stand more of a risk of dying morbidly obese than you do of having this operation. I mean, it's yeah. a no-brainer, really. It's interesting. I was asked to go on Sky News last week to discuss a new obesity injection, which mimics the three hormones that are produced when you have a gastric bypass. So they're trying to come up with something else that has the same results, if not more effective, than people having to undergo surgery because the demand is so big. But it caused quite a big stir. Mm, but well, I'm sure. the medical world have to come up with something. But obviously, from my point of view as well i wish there were more people like me there to you know help prevent or help people throughout their journey yeah well i think that people that have uh, bariatric surgery because of obesity mm. but i mean you have bariatric surgery because of all different reasons and so cancer is a very big one mm-hmm. as well but i think people that have to have bariatric surgery or choose to to change their lifestyle which is killing them you need a nutritionist. Of course, of because course. They, say, they said to me, they give you a form even, you know, privately, you get this form and it just says, don't eat for six weeks, then go on to clear soup. I mean, okay, but I, it took me three months before yeah. I could eat. So, yeah. you know, they're saying that's sort of very general. Yeah. And each of us are different. So there's no doubt, I need a nutritionist now mm-hmm. and that's, we're eight years on. Well, we need psychologists, we need nutritionists, we need the medics all to work together and mm. perhaps, I don't know, personal trainers or people to motivate us even to walk more every day. Oh, yeah. That would be the dream. Oh, it is. But it's, it, we can have it, can't we? I think And so I think now. that... Um, Oh, I just think it's wonderful. So you've just gained a new client. Yes. <laughs> with me. <laughs> Thanks, Sally. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> I'll, see you, I'll see you there tomorrow. But so you're now, what's next for you, okay. darling? So you've, how many books you've written? You're writing another one. I'm writing my third oh, at wow. the moment, which is very exciting. Um, yeah, very, very exciting. I can't reveal the subject matter yet. No, but is it to do with? Um, it is a nutritional related book. Is it? Brilliant. But a very different area. I think it'll be a very helpful one for people. But I also have a podcast series, Food for thought which i'm immensely proud of where i get to interview for me because I, I geek out a little bit i've turned to this geeky scientist person i never but thought how amazing i know i never thought i'd understand the lingo you know growing up yep. i just didn't understand a word and now i can converse with people that are experts in um yeah, cardiology or they're the top of their field with the latest technology on sleep or i'm talking to neuroscientists about the development in the brain and different pathways we're discovering it is absolutely fascinating but the most interesting thing i think that i'm up to at the moment would be working on a very very big project with a company called deliveroo and we are looking to make because everyone loves a takeaway people get them i want there to be a cheap affordable healthy option for everyone nationwide because to be honest with you if you live in london you have access to everything on your doorstep. You can order healthy meals if you want to. The cost will be a bit higher. The minute you leave London, all you have is the local chippy. I know, because that's where I'm from. Or yeah. the kebab store, maybe the or Indian like, takeaway. Or, or, you, or you've got... I travel the country, you know, with yeah, the touring. Yeah, of course you do. And there's all, I try and find the Marks and Spencers, but the food... Yeah. All, but if you want food on the run or quick food, it's all bread-related. 
It's all sandwiches. And the problem all with sandwiches, sandwiches, it's not that I'm saying bread is terrible. It's that there's well, nothing am. in them. <laughs> because it literally, you ju- I just feel bloated the whole yeah, time. It doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for exactly. me. Exactly. But so I have need to other have options. It. Yeah, and it's, it's not only that. It's full of... Bread can be full of sugar. It can, and salt, mm. which I don't think people are aware of as well. So look for a whole grain loaf and low salt as well. So actually, we're getting in the UK now, which is really worrying, about eight grams of salt a day, and we're not meant to be exceeding six. So we're going up on the salt. We're over-exceeding sugar consumption. Mm. We're well over the saturated fat to the point where the government have reduced it again this year. We're not meant to be consuming more than 10% a day of our overall diet, and it was 11% last year. So every year, we're trying another tax we're bringing in as well Mm. what are we going to do and that's why this project i'm so passionate about because i think people see healthy food as expensive because they don't know how to make it up from nothing they want to see it packaged so if we can create an option that's at the click of a i don't know app on your phone oh i'm there that's for families as well and yeah for everyone so will it be food that you that it's raw and you're gonna to have to cook it or will it be prepared like a no, takeaway prepared like a takeaway oh, like a healthy that. stew or even a healthier pizza because you can do that it just yeah. depends how much oil and salt you cook it with and it can still taste good i want to make healthy food oh, tasty Sally. so you're going to be on my doorstep then i think <laughs> on, a, on a daily basis <laughs> or in my dressing room when i'm on tour oh, <laughs> send me a picture when you order your delivery. I will, I will. I will. <laughs> well, it's been absolutely wonderful talking oh, to you. And I could talk to you all day because, yeah. you know, you, you understand, you've been there. There's nothing better, is there, with your work if you've actually experienced it. hundred percent. It adds that extra level, I think, of empathy as well and Definitely. understanding. And also you kind of approach life differently. You walk down the street, you see people, you don't look in the same way, I think, that you would have done before. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Empathy. Mm. And empathy for obese people and morbidly obese people or people that really struggle with their weight I think is so important because there's no doubt about it when I was big I was treated differently you've been in two complete different bodies Sally and you must have been fat shamed essentially oh I was I was 27 stone but I but I was very happy and I'd go to parties and and I was I'm married to someone that never ever once apart from that that dinner that I mm. ate, his dinner, um, or two dinners, uh, has never, ever said to me, stop. What a gem. Because he, he loved me. You. I mean, he mm. would say sometimes, oh, you know, you, you sound breathless or something like that. But it was like I was never... And I always managed to look nice. Yeah. You know, so unless I'd had that heart attack, someone was on my shoulder. There you go. I would never... And had spoken to that cardiologist. Ah. Yeah, so like... it's maybe you need to talk to them as well. Mm. A hundred percent, definitely. Big, all 360-degree picture, but it's very inspiring to hear your story, Sally. How wonderful, everyone, to speak to the wonderful Rihanna. She's absolutely amazing. I love talking to Rihanna. I'm so interested in nutrition, and since my own weight loss journey, she inspired me, and I will definitely be rushing along to her clinic for a session myself. In the next episode, I will be talking to Shirley Kemp. It scared me the fact that, would I be good enough? What if I can't do it? How am I going to learn the songs? How am I going to remember the songs? I was building all that, but there's an inner knowing that what I was about to sing was something that I knew I could sing the best I could sing. If you have enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a five-star review and a little comment. 
enjoying this podcast, then you will love The Real Brunch, a weekly pop culture podcast where three friends get together to discuss their lives. Would you rather be smart or pretty? Pretty. 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. Smart. No, I can't be lying. I want to be pretty. <laughs> With amazing guest interviews such as Gok Wan. So you could say anything. Just put my name before it. You know what you're going to get. So yeah. it could be like Gok's Fill Your House of Free, Gok's Closed Roadshow. I mean, Gok Whips a Bear. I mean, could be, <laughs> I don't know kind of what you're going to get. World champion athlete Dina Asher-Smith. Still, every single race, you can go out there and honestly just focus on yourself and try and beat your personal best, mm. which I think is really empowering in itself. So yeah, obviously, go to the Olympics, you want to win. But if you come third in like a national record and amazing time a time that you are the little child inside you could never have envisaged you'd ever run you're going to be happy aren't you and of course sally morgan but me i used to go in when i was tired or i was going to go down with something darling like yeah. you did in, those days. <laughs> in the 50s you went down with chicken pox or the measles or whatever um and it, it, basically it, she used to say to me you'll have your funny moments now because it seemed as if when i wasn't very well I knew things. Search The Real Branch on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. This was a podcast by Peroxide Media.